Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. You know, oxygen is, uh, oxygen is an element, uh, but it is elemental to our being, to our, to, our, to our existence. You know, you can cope without a lot of things. You can cope without Netflix and cope without pizza on a Friday. But breath, like, it's a very short amount of time that you can deal without breath. You can deal without air. And because our, our, our flesh, it, it, it needs breath to be, to, to live. But in the same way, our spirit man, upon the inside, it requires prayer to be alive. Yeah. Amen. To be alive. It says before Christ came into our lives that our spirit man was dead, but he lifts it up, he raises it from the dead, and it is that prayer that makes it alive, that keeps us engaged, that keeps us fresh. And so we are going to talk today about oxygen. Are we going to talk about prayer? We're going to talk about a lot of things. Well, you can turn with me to Philippians 4, verse 6. And we will be doing all of the scriptures will be brought to you today by the New King James Version. <laughs> it's kind of new. It's stretching it a little bit, isn't it? New. Anyway. <laughs> I guess everything's relative, right? <laughs> but, uh, we'll start here. Yeah. Be anxious for nothing. Pause for a second. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, let's continue. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Now, in that verse, there is, there's like a principle laid out for us. So almost an equation that, that, that God wants us to understand. It's, it's prayer in everything. Prayer in everything returns peace. Returns peace. If you have prayer in everything, then you will have peace. You will have the, to the exclusion of anxiety, to the exclusion of all anxiety. And, and peace, you know, peace is a word with many connotations. Uh, I say peace and I, I immediately think of the Californian hippie wearing, you know, wearing sandals and not really giving much of a rip. Uh, and, and that's a pretty irresponsible piece. But it, it, it's, it's a human piece. What this is talking about here is, is a godly piece. Uh, it, it says, actually, this piece surpasses all understanding. It's a, it's a piece that is not something you could draw just out of yourself. You can't just muster up this piece. This is a piece that surpasses all of our understanding. It's a piece that gives us clarity. You know when you have to make a, a tough decision, you have to do something brave, you, you tell yourself... I, Take a breath, calm yourself down, lower your heartbeat, because you know there's something that tells us that when you do that, you, you're able to make better decisions. Things are clearer, things have greater clarity, you have a greater appreciation of what's laid out in front of you, and, and that, that's what this is, the peace of God does. It gives us a clarity, it gives us a calmness to be able to approach whatever it is that's laid before us. And further still, this is this peace that prayer attains us. It's something that is, it's unattainable. It's, it's not achievable through conventional means. It, it's because it surpasses all understanding. It's, it's, it's unconventional. It comes from God above. It's not something that, that, that you don't just hit an epiphany. 
It's not something you, as I said, you don't well, it doesn't well up from the inside. It's, it's a revelation that comes out with your being. It comes from God and it comes through prayer and through Christ Jesus. And see, there's a lot of things. Now, I say all that. I say prayer and everything. You'll have no anxiety. And, and I know myself that, that there are times where I dwell upon things. Who dwells upon things? well upon things and and you know what so many of the things we dwell upon so many of the things that we find ourselves concentrating and focusing so much of that 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 energy is in itself in a vacuum objectively neutral it's just neutral uh there was a there was a lane where i used to where i grew up i used to live i grew up and it was a lane that sort of took us to the, to the sort of the, the greater sort of street network where we could get to places. And during the day, I have no issue going through there. It was, it was, just, it was just a lane. But, but at night, I didn't really want to go through there. The lane hadn't really changed. It was just a lane. But, but there was something in my, the, through the prism of circumstances and prejudice, through, we just, we just sort of contextualize what things are in themselves neutral and, and we kind of define a preference. The, the, what I mean by that is we, we are in ourselves predisposed. We are predisposed to certain ways and certain actions. My, my, children, uh, my children don't like dogs very much. Uh, and I think, I, I've sort of thought about this quite a bit. And I give them a bit of a pass because I think if a dog only comes up to your knee, then, you know, it's not difficult to sort of just see it as a dog. But if it comes up to your neck or your chest, then it's, slightly, it's a slightly different thing to look at. Uh, and, but they don't like them. And I think that they, they have this idea. I've asked them about it. I think they have this idea that they equate dogs with biting. Now, they have never been bitten by a dog. They've never seen a dog act aggressively. But for some reason, they have it in their heads that, that a dog might bite them. And so when a dog approaches them, they see it as a threat, and they will tend to run away. All right, they'll run away. Now, the reality we all know is that very, 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 very few—the minority of minority—dogs are inclined to attack. It's, 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 it's the the absolute minority of them. The majority of dogs are bouncing and lovely and smelly things. Uh, but even a good-natured dog, when it sees something the same sort of size as it, running away. It's not unreasonable that it interprets this as maybe a game. <laughs> might think this is some sort of game that this... this oh, it's like, a do- it's like a ball that doesn't move in one direction. <laughs> it's like a, like a ball with a red head. And uh, <laughs> sometimes two of them. Three of them, even. And, and so they give chase. And so the outcome that my children are so desperately trying to avoid, they make happen by doing, by acting upon their survival instincts, upon their natural inclinations, the very thing they're trying to avoid. If you ask them, give them a questionnaire, what would you like to happen next? Top of the list. I don't want a dog to pursue me. And yet what they do encourages that very behavior. See, see, what you believe, what you believe so often shapes what you perceive. Uh, that, 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 that lane that I talked about earlier, you know, it was just light and shadows. It's just light and shadows. The lane was just a lane, but we put context, we put rationalizations, we apply prejudices, and 
we come out with an interpretation of events that, that informs our choices. And, and the Bible has, this is hilarious. I, I don't want you to put this up because I feel as if it would ruin the punchline of what is just a marvelous verse. In Proverbs fourteen twelve, it says, there is a way that seems right. <laughs> what is the secret of comedy? <laughs> Timing. <laughs> there is a way that seems right to man. But its end is the way of death. <laughs> but its way is the end of death. Oh, there's ways that seem right to us. This, God thought this was so funny that two chapters later he wrote exactly the same thing. It literally says in Proverbs 16.25, verbatim, exactly the same thing. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Because how often do we get sort of informed with this idea like... Follow your heart. Feelings. Feelings never lie. Trust your instincts. Dare I say it. Women's intuition. Oh, yeah. I said it. I said it. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was in a, at work. I was in a... Um, they did this sort of healthy living uh, seminar at work and uh, we all sat around and looked at each other and thought goodness me <laughs> this is about 10 years too late <laughs> and but one of the interesting things they said is that, that studies have shown that you know so if your average person 80% of their thoughts are negative 80% now I will preface that by saying, I believe that Christ renews our mind. He renews our mind and, and those percentages change. But the mind is still the battlefield. It is where the spirit contests the carnal. All right? And, and when I say negative, that, that means that they are, they are, the thoughts are defeatist. They are fatalistic. You are, they are thoughts that are resigned to failure, that are expectant of disappointment. And so, when you think about that, the, the actual apparent correct response to an event is so often warped or skewed by our own fatal flaws, our own human condition, the dysfunction of mankind. It, 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 it warps it. Yeah. The, the outlook is distorted. Like, you can see this. You can sort of see the truth. You can sort of see the truth, but, but it is, it's obscured by... This tinted lens of predisposition or preconceived ideas. It, it just, you don't see it straight. You can't see it straight because so much of our thoughts are, are entwined with our emotions and our feelings and our own sort of uh, rationalizations. But the discernment that we require to, to make strong decisions is cultivated from a relationship with God. It's that, it's that relationship with God that, that, that allows us to set our gaze above the dysfunction and beyond the turmoil. It, it allows us to just see above the parapet. It, it changes our perspective. That, that relationship with God, it elevates our thinking. It's the revelation as opposed to something that we've dreamed up for ourselves. I want us to take us to an account in the Bible. It's a very well-known account. I'm actually going to do half of it from one, chap, uh, one book, uh, the book of Mark, and the second half from Matthew, because I think that they explain really 
different things really well. Uh, but it's the, it's the account of when Jesus and Peter walked on water, which is well known. And I feel as if like, there's so much of that story. It's, like a, it's a physical demonstration of what so many of us encounter on a daily basis. And so, in Ma- uh, Mark, in Mark, yes, Mark 6, 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, oh no, while he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. I just want to pause for a moment there, because there's something really interesting that I feel, you know, you can kind of skip over. Jesus was on a mountain. He was on land. He was alone. The disciples were on a boat, and it says they were in the middle of the sea. Ask you a question. It says he saw them. How could he have seen them while he's standing on a mountain in the middle of the sea? And it says that he could see them with such clarity that he knew that they were straining. The secret is this, is that Jesus sent everybody away because he needed to pray. He needed to have time with God. He understood more than anything that everything that he was doing was so completely entwined mm. with having a relationship, with, with understanding God's will, that, that he, to, to be able to disciple the disciples, that he needed to be able to seek wisdom with God daily. He needed to have that time, sent everybody away so that he could have that. And I believe that there's, if you're standing upon the top of a mountain and you look down, one, I can't believe that you would be able to see anything at all. Secondly, if the waves are up, if the wind is up, the heart would get up, you wouldn't be able to see anything at all. He did not see that with his eyes. He saw that with his spirit. And that is, that it just shows us the power of prayer right there, to be able to see into circumstances, to be able to move when, when you have no natural way of being able to see what's happening before you. That is the power of prayer right there so I will continue in Matthew Matthew 14 26 and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled saying it is a ghost which is a pretty understandable response because he was walking on the water and that's not normal (laughs) and they cried out for fear but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying be of good be of good cheer it is I do not Be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. Now, Peter was the one who stepped up. Now, the funny thing is, he wasn't asked to do something that exceeded his capacity. God God doesn't ask us to do things that exceed our capacity. But what he does do is he creates opportunities that allow us to stretch. That allow us to, we don't have to, but he creates these situations that allow us to be able to say, you know what, I am going to stretch to more than what I can do. And what happens is when you stretch, your capacity grows. And that's what he was doing in that. See, it was a, it was a spontaneous response from Peter. It wasn't premeditated. He hadn't been sitting around dreaming up this scenario and going, you know what, if Jesus ever walks across the water in the middle of a storm while we're in a boat, I am going to ask him if I can do it too. That thought would have never entered his mind. What 
what caused him to do that, what drew, drew him to, to make that request was he just understood his relationship with God. He just understood the, the parameters of it. He just understood the things that he could ask of God, the, the things he could ask of Jesus, what he could, what he could request. And, and, and he just knew that Jesus would, would authorize it, would permit him to do it. It had nothing to do with uh, being ready for it in the sense that it was just he was ready in his relationship. That relationship, he had a relationship with Jesus that allowed him to stretch at the opportune moment. And then to finish, Matthew, continue on 30. And when, G, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. Now, to help us sort of understand this and to see it from our own perspective, we're gonna, I'm going to ask us to sort of look at this with, from the perspective of us being the ones in the boat. We are the ones in the boat. So you can imagine that if you are in a boat and there's a storm. And I don't know if you've ever been on a boat in a storm oh dear have I broken it? no, not yet (laughs) now I have been and I'll tell you what there's times where you wish you had one leg longer than the other (laughs) but I'll tell you something right if you're on a boat in a storm you'd still rather be in the boat than in the water right? it might not be much fun being in a boat. I don't know if you've ever been seasick. They say that seasickness is a lot like morning sickness. I suspect it's much worse. But uh, it's something to do. It's something to do with like the equilibrium in your body being sort of all messed up. But but like it's not very nice being in a storm, being sort of all rocked from side to side. And it says they were straining. They were straining because if they didn't strain. If they didn't try and maintain position, they get smashed on the rocks. They get smashed on the rocks. Or, or if, they didn't allow, if they didn't maintain heading into the wind, the waves would flip them over and they'd all end up in the water. So being in the boat while you're in a storm is not the worst place to be. In fact, you probably would feel rather grateful for being in a boat rather than in the water, right? But while you're in that boat, something strange happens. And from over in the distance, a figure comes out of the mist. He's not getting buffeted around. He's just strolling through the waves. And I'll tell you something, right? At that moment, the whole thing flips because, well, he's just walking on the waves while we are getting thrown around in the, in the boat. So now, the boat doesn't look as good as the water, right? Because Jesus... He's... <laughs> He is showing us something different. He's showing us something 
that is better than what we're currently seeing. And so, so now, being out there seems a lot better than being in here. So if we're all the Peter character, we all ask, can I come out? And Jesus says, there's actually a different uh, account of his life. Whew, really should have paid more attention during that health and fitness thing. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> the stage wasn't so big. <laughs> and Jesus, when, when he was met with the, uh, the father with the sick child, and Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so, standing in in all of that upheaval, in all of that uncertainty, there is Jesus showing us a better way to live. So we ask, well, can I come out and live the way that you are showing me to live? It's not some far-flung idea. It's not something theoretical. It's like you see him in the midst of your turmoil. You see him in the midst of the storm. So you ask, like Peter asked, can I come out? And he says, come. Now, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm just projecting myself into Peter. If I was Peter, I would walk lightly on the water because I wouldn't want to fall through as if it was like ice or something. And so you would walk really, really, really lightly. You don't want to be going like that because that is just taking the mick. But you walk really lightly on the water, but you're still walking on the water, right? It's pretty good. You can't walk in really, really lightly. And you get, you get some distance. You get, you get a ways and Jesus is right there and you're making your way. He said, come and I am coming. So you're walking on the water and then it happens. Somewhere in between, the boat is over there and Jesus is over there. And you look back and you see 11 faces still sitting in the boat. <laughs> And you ask yourself some version of this question. What am I doing? What am I doing? There's 11 guys still in the boat. And I'm standing on water. Jesus, he's over there and he's always over there and I'm always over here. Why can he never be over here while I'm over here? And you, and you begin to ask those questions. The waves, they are boisterous. They draw your attention. Now, you might be thinking, hey, I'm not really into fishing. I'm never in a boat. But there are so many times in our walk with Christ where we find ourselves stepping out of the boat. That time when, when that friend of yours, that, that friend from school, that person that you've spent just so much of your life with and you've, you've just you've had this desire on the inside just to share your faith with them. And the moment sort of transpires and, and you share your testimony and you shed a tear and you give it the beans and, and, and you just, you, you sort of have this expectancy. You're like, man, this person's going to be moved. I'm moved. This person's going to be moved. They're going to give their life. And, and, and after you're finished, you open your eyes, you wipe away the tear and they just look a little puzzled. <laughs> or that time that, uh, that your flatmate, that, that, that friend, that family member who's just been struggling with sickness, struggling with infirmity, and, and you say, hey, look, I know a better way. I know a God who can heal all, all, all everything. And, and, you, and, and you convince them, and you tell them, you know, let me pray for you. I believe for healing. And you, and you place your hands, and you say that prayer, and you've got out of the boat, and just nothing happens. 
nothing happens. The, 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 the colleague at work who just, just is always a little bit held back is, 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 just has that, that air of loneliness around them. And you recognize it because you had that yourself. And you, and you know that it was Jesus who came in and filled that void in your life. And, and, and you build up the courage and you step out of the boat. And you go to that person and you tell them how Jesus filled that void with all of his love. And, and they tell you, you just don't understand. What happens? We begin looking back at the boat. We start looking at the waves and it gets a little bit. The apprehension begins to crowd out the faith that propelled us out of the boat in the first place. We begin to sink as our confidence evaporates, uh, overwhelmed with that, that dreadful feeling that you're about to be humiliated. You know, and, and you just find yourself sinking, sinking, sinking down. I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can, you can sympathize, you, you recognize those things, those, those moments where you feel like you've just begun to sink. So what's changed? What is it that's changed? How did we go from having this faith that was propelling us effortlessly over all obstacles to that kind of crushing realization of crying out like Peter, Lord, save me. I've got a long answer, a short answer. I'll have to give you the short answer. It's about our focus. Where are our focus going? In Psalms 73, 28, it says, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. But it is good for me to draw near to God. See, we went, when we left the boat, it was Jesus that inspired us. When we took that step of faith, it was Jesus yeah. that inspired us. It was his example, his encouragement, his permission that, that, that just gave us the impetus and the momentum to step forth and when we project Jesus into the storm we declare his majesty over that situation we over the turmoil it's just we project him and we say your majesty reigns over all of this and and when we do that the powers of intimidation dwindle they dwindle because you see them relative to God's splendor God's splendor just makes whatever it is that is holding you back, whatever it is that seems like an obstacle, it just is not a problem when you view it next to the splendor of Jesus. It says in Ephesians 6 verse 20, this is Paul. He said, I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. See, he was, he was a prisoner. He was being held captive but he knew he was not there at the leisure of the emperor he knew he was at the leisure of his king he knew that although they might put the label on him of prisoner of captive that really he was an ambassador and as such he conducted himself like an ambassador he conducted himself he spoke as he ought to speak he spoke with the authority that God had given him. He knew that regardless of the turmoil and the uncertainty that surrounded him, he was an ambassador, even if he was in chains. It made no difference. And so his response was one that was apt to the role and the responsibility that had been placed upon him. And when, and when doubt outruns us, 
when doubt comes around and, 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 and sort of holds us back, it isn't that we stop trusting Jesus. It's, it's not that we cease to trust him. It's actually a case that we just, in that situation, we cease to project him into that. We cease to acknowledge God's sovereignty over that situation. Our doubt, our doubt doesn't relate to Jesus. What we actually do is we take Jesus out of the equation and our doubt relates to the outcome. It, It relates to the outcome because what happens is halfway along this journey, it stops kind of being about Jesus and it starts being about us walking on water. And so that victory, that, that, that overcoming, that breakthrough starts to get compared against all of the obstacles that are around it. It starts to get measured against the height of the waves. And when you start comparing the, the miraculous, the supernatural, the, the outpouring of God's grace to the natural obstacles, doubt is pretty easy to come by. Doubt is easy to rise up when you start to picture it like that. But when we, when we frame it alongside Jesus, the breakthrough is never in question. It's not even a question. It's just the pursuit. We, we don't even consider what it is that is happening in the sense that the miracle is the byproduct. It is, it is the, it's just what happens when we are pursuing Jesus. It's the response that propels us into the fray, not the outcome, not the success. We step out of the boat because Jesus called us. Amen? The, the breakthrough is never in question when pictured alongside Jesus. And Peter, like all of us, you know, he starts to wonder, how can I be standing here when the waves are so high? As if the height of the waves have anything to do with him standing upon water. As if, yeah. if they're that height, standing on water is pretty reasonable. But if they're that height, <laughs> now's the time to worry. Now's the time to, to freak out. I, I once spent an entire summer holiday trying to walk on water. It was, it was like by a, by a, uh, a swimming pool. And I, I tried all the different ways. Tried one-footed, two-footed, gently, hard. Didn't matter. I couldn't do it. Because it is not possible. The action that we are called to is birthed in faith. So it is not the water that you walk on. It's the reassurance of his faithfulness. Yeah. We, often, we often place our faith upon the outcome, upon the water, and doubt once it gets too high. But, gee, but Peter, I dare say this. Peter never walked on water because the water wasn't really the point of the miracle. See, I'll go back to that in a second. If you think about water, water is part oxygen. Water is part oxygen. A huge part of what we step out upon is based, is, is elevated, is supported by the prayers of faith that go around there. It's, it's not the water that supports us. It's not the water that takes us into the supernatural. It's not the water that takes us to the completion of God's plan. We stand upon the prayers of faith because we engage that faith and we see God's splendor. We see the glory. See, his steps were not supported by water. 
they were supported by the glory of God. It was the glory of God that supported his feet. It was the glory of God that split the Red Sea. It was the glory of God that brought down the walls of Jericho. It was the glory of God that held tight the mouths of the lions as Daniel slept. It was the glory of God that kept the flames from burning the three men as they walked into the furnace. The faith was not in the, in the furnace. It wasn't in the wall. It wasn't in the lions. It wasn't in the Red Sea. The faith was in Christ. It was in God. It was in knowing that he is the miracle maker. All of those things were just, the, they, were just they were not the substance of faith. They were just the result of faith and the manifestation of his glory. It's not the improbable outcome that we cling to. Like the walking on the water. It's not the improbable. The glory of God is what supports us as we step out in pursuit of his son. And the spirit arises within us when we synchronize ourselves with the father's will. When, when the rhythm of his heart is what drives the beats and the, and the steps. That's when the miraculous takes place. But have you ever noticed when God works and the miraculous takes place. It is not something that you strive for. It is not something you strain for. It is effortless because it is his glory and you are doing the will of God. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.